people are, are suffering to hear that what you're doing is helping people pull back from the brink is the most beautiful thing possible because i was there i know how painful it is we think that it's so bad that it could be worth not having to feel anything if we don't have to feel that anymore and it is possible to heal from that i don't know if you're gonna see this voice moment but i thought i was happy are, are you happy i'm not happy at all question is are you happy, are you happy? i'm the happiest i've ever are been right now yes be the person who you'd want to meet because somebody needs you. Welcome to Are You Happy? The Happy Hour. And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Happy? Podcast. Oh, my goodness. We've been on this crazy journey with business people and CEOs and titans of industry. And we've been in the business world for a hot minute. But we are back to what we do best, talking to everyone and anyone about happiness and their experiences along the way. And so today we have a amazing and a meowsing gentleman. He is a world traveler of both land but also of the mind. And we are so excited to learn all about the journey of John Katz. So John, how are you today? I'm doing well. We're broadcasting from the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and I'm very happy to be here with you, Vanessa. Oh, man, to be in Manhattan. I want to go. Do you advise many people from out of state to come to New York? I mean, we can jump right into it. I don't advise anyone to travel anywhere externally until they're right internally. So if you are waking up with any sort of issues, coming to New York is not going to make you happy in any real way. But yeah, New York's a great place. I think there's a lot of beauty in a lot of places. So get right wherever you are before you come through. But yeah, after you get right where you are, please come join me. Say hello to me in person in New York. That is so amazing that you say that because our founder creator who traveled the world finding or searching for the happiest person in the world said that that was one of the things that he noticed was that people tend to travel to get away from things, but that's just not what you want to do because you won't find who it is you're looking for. But also the path that you have is so more tomorrow than it would be had you been right with yourself from the start. So that is, it's so interesting that you say that, but can you elaborate more on how you came to that conclusion? Yeah. I mean, for a while I was, I was running for myself and there's a phrase that's spoken a lot is wherever you go, there you are. You know, what I, what I wasn't honest about is that I was bringing all of my problems with me. And so I would go on these journeys, external journeys and return to my home and the problems would just be worse. I had just exported them to another place. And it wasn't until I started really looking at my life and traveling inward that I was able to get anywhere. But I think there's a lot of pressure for people to travel. I think there's two ways that we typically travel to run from our problems. One are these the physical movement, the external movement to other cities, states, countries. And the other way of traveling is sort of the mental traveling that's aided and abetted by substances. So we inebriate ourselves or the, the typical person inebriates themselves to attempt to travel away from their pain or whatever it is they're running or hiding from. But that's also toxic. And then if you want to do the double whammy, you get messed up and you inebriate yourself abroad. So then you're mm. traveling, you're running from yourself with substances while running from your physical self by traveling. So that's what most people do. And I, I was caught up in that for years. For years, I was both going out, you know, clubbing and partying and narcotizing myself and also traveling the world attempting to escape from something I carried with me. I mean, in hindsight, it's patently absurd, but at the time, it seemed like the most natural thing in the world. Is it okay to ask what it was exactly that you were trying to escape? Absolutely. I felt a lot of chaos within. I experienced a fair bit of chaos growing up, and I didn't really have a way of processing it correctly or looking at it correctly or even dealing with it. And 
I'm a pretty sensitive person by nature. I think most of us are. And a lot of the chaotic energy I received, you know, and was exposed to as a kid carried with me. And as an adult, I did a lot of the chaos inducing things that adolescents and young adults do around substances, around the whole sleeping around, hooking up culture, which is naturally chaotic. You know, there's nothing Mm -hmm. stable about getting drunk. There's nothing stable about using intoxicants, narcotics. There's nothing stable about having a number of different partners and not committing to them. So these adult destabilizers coupled with the sort of natural or ingrained chaotic or destabilizing feelings I had created a highly, highly unstable mental environment for me. And that is what I was really running from. I was not happy with myself, kind of the way I looked, the way I felt, the way I acted and where I'd come from. And so I I kept on running, but I was just compounding it. And what's one of those experiences that you recall amidst your travels that you just, you can't even believe that you survived that? Oh, man. I mean. I know there's probably many, but what's the first one that pops? I'll share one. There's this arts festival in the desert, Burning Man. For those listening that are that's unfamiliar, yeah, it's nominally an arts festival. Really, it's a way for people to run from themselves. A lot of the regular burners, these are people that attend Burning Man, they assign a greater amount of meaning to the week or 10 days, let's say, they spend at Burning Man than they do the rest of the year. So they have what they refer to as the default world. This is the world that I'm broadcasting to you from. This is the world that is outside of Burning Man. And they view that as an inferior or a lesser than world than the world of Burning Man, which is this alternate world, this alternate reality. I view it actually as an alternate religion. And while they're at Burning Man, they believe themselves to be expressing their true nature, which is they take on a new name, they craft a new identity. And part of that new identity, at least for a lot of people, myself included, both years I went was extreme drug use. I'm definitely not a long term burner. I don't view that world as more important than this world, Mm. uh, or even as equally important. It was probably the knee plus ultra it was the the greatest representation that I have done of running from myself. I was on acid every day for a week, you know, like high doses of acid. And I'm pretty sure it permanently altered my brain chemistry. I'm absolutely sure it altered my brain chemistry for some number of months following. And I don't view Burning Man in and of itself as a necessarily negative experience, but I do view the way that it's engaged with by most people, which is a place to get fucked up, tons of narcotics, Excuse my language. I'm so sorry. No, no, you're fine. Keep going. Okay. Do we do that on this show? You can be whoever you want to be. I'm going to craft a third persona on on this show. I'm going to be someone completely different. (laughs) (laughs) No, so Burning Man, for me, that was the most fully realized version of people running from themselves. I've done some long form YouTube and one of them was on our search for meaning. You know, what what does it all mean? You know, where do we find meaning? And I saw that so much. It's so many people that go to Burning Man and by extension who attempt to travel through the use of substances and physical movement are searching for meaning. You are searching and searching and yearning and looking and going to the this alkaline lake basin in Nevada. It's a totally inhospitable place, which is blazing hot during the day and cool at night to party and get obliterated to try to find yourself. But obviously in finding yourself, what are you really finding? You're finding something else. You cannot find yourself when you are so lost. And this is one experience that you asked if I'm shocked that I survived. I don't know if I did survive. I don't know what... I was at the end of it, but I know I was in tears for many days following that. I had really just messed with my head so much. And it it exposed me to something 
I don't know if it was scary, but it was kind of frightening on a molecular level that there's such a lack of meaning for so many people in this world that those that can afford it and are interested in it are really willing to obliterate their entire lives for some short amount of time to try to quote unquote find themselves. And and at the time, it just struck me as one more escape. You know, I'd gone to overnight raves. I'd done a bunch of degenerate activity. I'd done most drugs. Burning Man was just the next step for me. And so I took that step two years in a row and it was... That was a trip. In hindsight, that was an absolute trip. Sure sounds like it. I love a good rave, but I did not go to that ever. But I did see the Netflix documentary on Burning Man. Did you happen to catch that? I live the John Katz live you mentory two years in a row. And I can't paint Burning Man with the same brush for everyone. They say that Burning Man is everything for everyone. And there, you know, there are sober burners. There are people that go there and train for marathons. There are people that go there and run marathons. There are people that go there and do yoga practices. I cannot say that is Every person that goes to Burning Man is running from something, but I can tell you that I was, and I met a lot of other people that were, and people that use it as a so-called release mechanism, a safety valve, some sort of pressure release, or you know, a, a stand-in for reality, something that they ascribe an equal or greater than amount of meaning for this world. It shows that they're running for. Yeah. One does not go to Burning Man to get obliterated, twisted, destroyed for eight days in a row, unless there is something that they are not happy with. They want to destroy part of themselves. I, I love the way that you describe things. It's so awesome. I know that the work that you currently do that there is some speaking involved yes oh quite a bit yeah i was commanded my mentor commanded me in extreme powerful language that i was to start producing and Mm. and and I've done so every day. You know, I'm connecting with people on IG. And I did, as I mentioned, a, quite a number, I think 75 extremely long form YouTube videos on various cultural pursuits. So that's where I get it from. And you're talking to a man that before I started living a life to be proud of, I didn't have a single social media. I didn't use any of that. I had totally projected negativity upon the fabric of social media. And I had decided that social media was a number of things because that's what I was. And this probably leads back into Burning Man, but we hate on what we gave up on. The reason I can be so critical of Burning Man is because I gave up on it. I gave up on the pursuit of hedonism. The reason I had been so critical of social media is because I wasn't proud of myself. I wasn't willing to be forward. I wasn't willing to be social via social media. I was unhappy with the way I looked. I was extremely unhealthy physically. I carried a lot of physical, extra physical weight. I carried a lot of extra emotional weight. So there's no way I was going to go on an IG all day and speak my truth. I didn't even know what my truth was. But yes, you're right. The work I do now is very much based on communication, on speaking, on connecting with two people in with people. Yes. And we will definitely go into that here more in a little bit. But I'm really curious to also hear about your upbringing, because the way you describe it, the intensely neurotic upbringing that you had, I'm curious to hear more about it, but then also how that impacted who you are now. Certainly. So I was raised on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. At the time, it was largely middle class neighborhood, but with sort of a literary bent. And I'm eternally grateful to have been exposed to that. However, in my home, my folks, you know, by no fault of their own, just because I don't believe when they were growing up or when they were young adults or even my age, they had access to the same information that I do, but they hadn't really processed their own trauma. Both of them had received quite a bit of negative energy from their own parents growing up. And as we all know, you know, those who fail to reflect project. So they weren't able to really work through their own baggage, their own weight. And they passed that on to each other and on to me as well. And so I received, you know, it was relatively neurotic, you know, neurosis, pain avoidance and trauma is pain. So when we avoid dealing with our trauma, we 
create neuroses in ourselves and in others. This is what procrastination does and, and a lot of the other stuff, a lot of other mental illness that, that people suffer from. And I definitely got a bit of that. And the beautiful thing about the life I lead now is due to an intense stroke of fate, I was uh, placed back in my childhood home living alongside my folks for about half a year until very recently. And just because I progressed so much internally that I was able to help them process childhood trauma in their, they're in their 70s now. And just being in close proximity, I had grown so much over the last couple of years doing what I do every day, that simply being around them allowed them to open up to me and process that which had initially, quote unquote, harmed me, or I guess affected me when I was a child. Very interesting cycle that that we lead. But yeah, that was my childhood, you know, it was the high quality New York City upbringing, and then some challenges as well, which I think a lot of people deal with. Can I ask you what that big thing that happened was that led you back to your childhood home? Absolutely. I experienced an apartment fire. Someone describing would say that I lost everything, but you know, everything that matters, I carried within my house. Let's just say objective facts, my house burned down and moved back with my folks. So the fire hit August 1st of last year. And I was at my folks place for probably six and a half, seven months following that. And it was the best thing that could have happened. I'm not kidding. Everyone always, they liked the stupid platitude about the silver lining, but they don't believe it. They, you don't, unless you're truly aligned with positivity, unless you truly do live a positive existence and push forward every day, you don't, nobody actually believes that. But this was the greatest thing that could have happened to me because it showed me that I can recover from pretty much anything, including an apartment fire, including having to live with my folks again at 36. And it was an absolute blessing because it stripped away a lot of the external stuff that I thought that I wanted or even needed. I had turned my life around in early 2021. So I'd already been on this path for about a year and a half. And I thought, hey, you know, I'm this changed person. I'm more enlightened now. I don't need these material things. And I was talking a lot of shit on my channel. I was talking about leadership and I, I recorded a lot of stuff directly following the fire. So anybody interested should go to my page and you can see me extremely emotional sitting in a burnt out apartment, you know, directly following the fire. In the days before, I was talking a lot of shit about what it means to be a leader and self-sacrifice. And the universe gave me the test that I asked for, which was this fire. Mm -hmm. It was not anything I did not already ask for. And the test was, how are you going to react? Are you going to stop posting? Are you going to stop working out? Are you going to stop being the man that you need? And no, I didn't. So it was it was an incredible blessing for me. Yeah, that's an incredible testament. I also think about the fact that being put into the position of living with your parents again, but at an older age, you're able to really think about where it is that you are and have those conversations that you could not have as a young person. So there's something to be said about, like you said, being able to talk to them and work through certain things. You wouldn't have been there had that fire not occurred because can you say that you would have gone back to see them and examine things the way you did if that fire had not happened? Not in a million years. Yeah. Not in a million years. But we're given we're given what we need, not what we want. And what I needed was to be put in that position in order to do the difficult but necessary work that is self-love, that is healing that is intergenerational unification. Yeah, it was. It, it is just wild. The way that we ask for things from the universe and the way that the universe provides for, for us is just so, if we're open to it, if yeah. our egos are, are down enough to be honest about ourselves, with ourselves, then yeah, this is, it's the most beautiful thing possible. You're the second person today that's remarked on the universe giving things. And I think that's amazing. Moving on throughout your life, I did read, you know, you had some other relationship things that happened, but then this projected you and pushed you into what it is that you do now. Tell us what it is that you do now. So I am an online coach. I connect through folks mainly through my Instagram page, which is NYC Foodways. I run a coaching program called Foodways Coaching. It's a mindset and discipline program 
program based on daily positive action, non-negotiable positive action. We change your negative habits around negative self-talk, low feelings of self-worth, negative body presentation, just overconsumption, the use of vices to numb ourselves as a crutch. And we replace that with positive habit, early to rise, intense physical exercise, intentional nutrition, and just the elimination of negativity from our lives. I mean, you really have two choices in, in what you do think and say. You can do positive things. You can think positive things and you can say positive things, which is a very rare path. You can do what most people do, which is do negative things, think negative things and say negative things. Mm -hmm. And I used to, I was in that camp for the longest time. So what I'm doing now is I'm coaching others through leading myself on this path to do the same thing, to come to terms with whatever pain they experience, to drop the resentments against their families and past romantic partners, to stop resenting themselves. I mean, that's the biggest thing. If we resent ourselves, if we are ashamed or guilty or negative about ourselves, we cannot give positivity towards others. I was not able to be fully present in my relationships with love and abundance in my heart fully committed to my partner because I was none of those things to myself. It's just not possible. You cannot be fully committed to your wife, husband, boyfriend, spouse, partner, whatever, if you are not fully committed to yourself. And you can't be fully committed to yourself if you have some commitment to some substance. It's, you can't, if the bottle has your answers, you will not be able to give other people the answers they need from you, period, mm -hmm. because you're always thinking about the bottle or the bag or the burger or Burning Man or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that's the worst thing we can do. And so every day I wake up with love and abundance in my heart to try to create the best version of myself, to be able to pass that on to everyone, to be fully committed to everyone I interact with to the extent that I'm able. And my full commitment a year ago is less than my full commitment now, not because I wasn't fully committed then, but because I didn't know how to be as fully committed. So every day we do this, we not only give more, we understand our ability to give more that increases every day. And, and that's the most beautiful thing. You know, when I was sick and overweight and just not happy, I was contracting my potential. Like I had, I was limiting the scope of what I could do because I was doing less every day. And now I'm doing more every day. And it actually broadens my vision. Starting out on this path, I just wanted to be mentally well for the day. That's it. You know, I had no thoughts about anything else other than, am I going to be okay mentally today? And that's expanded. The vision has expanded drastically since then. So that's what I'm doing these days. And I love it. It's the most rewarding, quote unquote, work I've ever done. It, I don't even like using that word, but I guess, you know, I, I don't know what else, what, what else to describe it as. Yeah. But yeah, it's the most rewarding work I've ever done. Yeah, I would categorize that as like very soul fulfilling. I feel the same way. I feel the same way about the work that we do here with Are You Happy? Because we have a you know a docuseries that reaches people and they feel like they're not alone because they can connect with others through their personal stories. And seeing the conversations that come about in the comments, reading someone say, you know, I really needed that today. Or one of my personal favorites for all time, uh, someone saying, you know, I was planning to leave this world and then I saw this and I'm going to stay. Like, that's everything. I was there. That's what pushed me over the edge. You know, I was considering leaving this earth myself and in stepping back from the brink, I, I understood that the happiness I sought, it can actually get me kind of emotional to, to you know, people are, are suffering. To hear that that what you're doing is, is helping people pull back from the brink is the most beautiful thing possible because I was there. I know how painful it is. I understand what it means to invite that pain or to have that pain being invited into our hearts that 
we think that it's so bad that it could be worth not having to feel anything if we don't have to feel that anymore. And it is possible to heal from that. I'm so happy that that this is the the path that you and I are both walking to try to bring people back from the brink of self-destruction. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I can definitely identify. Can I ask you what pulled you back? I stopped being selfish for a moment and considered the negative impact on my family. Yeah, I think there's no thinking that that is what did it. You know, I was, I just made so many poor decisions after, you know, after my relationship ended and I just plunged headfirst into the the pleasure seeking that, you know, people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, maybe all people are expected to do or accepted to be done. And, and it just, it made me so, it's so soul crushing. It's so internally destroying. It's so self-destructive to be on that pleasure carousel up and down and up and down. It's just awful. And every week I was getting more sick and more unfit, more mentally unwell. You know, look at the mirror every time I looked more disgusted with my reflection and ultimately pushed me to the brink. And, you know, I was thinking about taking off for good. And then I thought, okay, well, what would my family do? You know, what sort of burden am I really this selfish? Am I? And I decided not to be. And that's what pulled me back. I Men, maybe people, but I happen to be a man. So I'll speak, I'll speak on that. Men, cut from a certain cloth, certain expectations, engaging in certain activities, don't really think of themselves particularly well. You know, if I thought of myself as well, I wouldn't have been doing all of these things to lower my value. You know, when you engage in certain behaviors, hooking up and and alcohol abuse and overeating, it's these are categorically negative things. A positive person does not bring negativity towards them. A negative person that believes themselves to have low self-worth will treat themselves with disrespect because they don't respect themselves. I had to take the lens and put it on other people because I thought of myself so poorly. I had to think, okay, well, maybe I suck, but maybe perhaps I need to think better of my family. You know, how would me hurting myself or harming myself negatively affect them? And that's when I turned and I realized, okay, I need to be better for them. And that was the beginning. Well, I'm sure you've probably heard this a lot, but I'm glad you stayed. Thank you. Me too, because now the most beautiful thing yet is being able to affect change in others. You know, it all starts with us. I say this very frequently. Change starts with us. Nothing changes until we do. However, once we change ourselves so drastically that our cup runneth over and we are able to nurture others, that's where the real growth lies. And obviously changing oneself is great, but I don't think there's anything better in the world than being able to change others. But that has to come naturally. It has to come from chasing the feeling of being a quality version of oneself. And that's what I chase every day. I mean, my heart races when I think about my ability to to make content and to try to help people. And and then it breaks because I know just walking down the street, it's very clear, especially in a place like New York City. Also in the digital space, who is suffering and why? You know, if I see someone and I I understand the struggles that they've been through, I know exactly what they're doing to hurt themselves. And I know exactly what they can do to heal themselves. So I have the answers and to be able to affect people and, and, and heal people and change people's lives. I mean, I had one client that got absolutely shredded in a month. I mean, he was fully committed to the program. He was in decent shape to begin with. I actually posted his transformation, but to see that I had an effect on someone, it isn't even me, that the universe, the spirit running through me had an effect on this guy in one month just blew my mind. It's just so touching to be able to pass that change on to other people that are suffering. Yeah. 
like you mentioned in the beginning, like if you let the universe in and let it work with you. It's the hardest thing because that involves dropping the ego. You know, a lot of the excuses I get from people are totally ego driven. Yeah. It's all about the self. I this, I this, I this. And I have to tell them, listen, dude, the reason that you are giving me these excuses is the reason why your people hate you. And it's the reason why you suck because you are making it about you. What if your well-being was not about you? Because mine wasn't. That's why I changed. Mm -hmm. I couldn't make it about me. I hated me. I had to make it about other people. People's egos are so massive. They would rather be, quote unquote, right with themselves and clearly wrong with the universe, but they aren't right with themselves. They would rather not drop their ego to me, someone who is so accepting of people because I had to accept myself, than they would actually admit to one person. One person that they have a problem with food, one person that they have a problem with alcohol, one person that shit they went through as a kid is still running their life. That's all you have to do. And it's tough for people. They would rather have the universe scream at them to change than them whisper in my ear, hey, John, I need your help, but that's okay. I got time. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep doing this as long as needed. I think what you do is wonderful. And I have this one odd question for you. Have you ever come across someone that reminds you of yourself like as if it's as if you're actually talking to yourself and coaching yourself i see it in everyone every single person in pain mm -hmm. has a bit of me in them because i had all of that separateness is an illusion we are all in this together we all suffer the same maladies and it doesn't matter how we present ourselves the real language of the universe is energy exchange which is why i've been able to coach people in the caribbean it's why i've been able to coach people in canada it's why i've been able to coach people on the west coast of the us i've had a, a client at 59 that reminded me of me literally he had the same trauma spoke the same language and gave me the same energy and had the same horrible negative self-talk this dude i'm pretty sure is a grandpa or darn close to a grandpa so yes absolutely when it comes down to it i believe that all of us walk the same path period and it, the only difference between us is our willingness to be honest about where on the path we are that's the only difference some people are extremely honest and those people it's very clear that i'm talking to myself everyone else they're just out there you know they're just out there still in denial but i love that question i don't think that's an odd question at all <laughs> every single person that i connect with i am because i did all that i did the drugs i ate the food i disrespected myself i did the cheating i wasn't present in the relationships i resented people for what i believed that they did around or to me all of it i went through the apartment fire i was close to suicide i had horrible anxiety deep depression so yeah, I am coaching myself. That's the other thing. I actually am coaching myself because in holding my word to my program, which is no use of substances, no character breaks, no flagrant disregard of everything. I actually am coaching myself in coaching others. I love that question. I love your answer. I think it's amazing. Some of the questions that we routinely ask, which I'll ask you now, and thank you so much for your honesty, by the way. Are you happy? That is such an interesting question. So- I used to be happy all the time. So I would take, you know, an eighth of an ounce of mushrooms, right? And then I'd go to the spot and I'd pound a pint of gin. You know, I'd be with someone and maybe we'd find someone else or maybe I would engage in some degenerate behavior and I was the happiest man alive, right? And then the next morning, all the stuff would start leaching out of my bloodstream and I hated myself. So I don't really know what that means. That word happiness is so interesting. To me, it infers a high followed by a low. I would say that I'm able to reach peace and contentment, and I don't really seek happiness. You know, happiness to me is something to be sought, right? And in, in yearning, in seeking, in desiring, we find pain. 
you know, desire leads to suffering is one of the main tenets of Buddhism. So happiness is, I don't know. I, I don't know. If I had to answer, I think the answer would be no. And I'm happy to not be happy. Yeah. I would say I'm happily dissatisfied. Is that a way? To, is that yeah, a, is that sure. A way to, There's no yeah. wrong way to answer it. I'm hoping to meet people that just say, I don't know. Because that implies that you're still searching and trying to figure that out. And it's okay whether you are or are not. I mean, there are plenty of people that are not. And then based on their words and their experience that they share, it becomes something that's necessary for someone else, you know, so. Yeah, I'm, I don't wish to be happy. To me, to be happy just shows that I'm going to be sad because every high has a contingent low. I yearn for peace and contentment, you know, a steady state and even keel. I don't yearn for the the happiness that I used to have. Maybe there's a different type of happiness that I'll get to, but for now, I wouldn't say so. It's quite possible that there is like, you know, a recurrence. Maybe there's a happiness that's a renewable source based on the energy of those around you because you're helping people and that provides fulfillment and happiness to an extent. I mean, yes, we don't want to call it happiness because it kind of you know cheapens it, but it's something that's provided. And because you're helping people every day, like no question, it's, it's continuous. So there may not be a downside, but I love when people ask me what I've heard, like, what's the best answer you've heard? I love being asked that because I have a great enjoyment out of saying, you know what? It's completely subjective. I love telling them that, you know, what it is that you think it is, that's what it is because Mm. it's completely subjective. I've yet to hear one person encapsulate what it should be like, no, because everyone is so vastly different and yes, similar paths, but they're so different and so convoluted and complex based on what it is that they've grown through or survived. And so no, like there is no one coined answer. It's just purely subjective and whatever it is that you wish to share and show through that, that's up to you. And you know, it's up to your personal experience. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think seeking happiness is is dangerous. I think seeking seeking peace and seeking fulfillment is is inherently positive and then seeking happiness because I'm I'm I live the Lower East Side has become kind of the weed district in New York. I don't know why, but I'm looking there's several smokers clubs, you know, people are are in there seeking happiness. There are nightclubs on my block. You ask any of those people at two in the morning as they're stumbling out of the club, if they're happy, they'll say yes. And that happiness is an extreme, sad downfall. You can hear it. You can hear the sirens. Yeah. Someone was probably happy not too long ago. And now that's happening. So. So in addition to your work, your amazing work, by the way, uh, what are some other things in your daily life that give you fulfillment? (laughs) We won't say happiness. We'll say fulfillment. What are some other daily things that give you that? So my channel is NYC Foodways and Foodways are cultural pathways through food. And that's a big, big passion of mine. I do a lot of work in the local food scene in New York, both on the sustainability side. So I'm heavy into food rescue. I actually built a a citywide food rescue project, a number of food rescue projects, in fact. And then I also work in local food, food production. I have a couple local farmer friends, some local composting folks, and then in kind of brand development. So there's a lot of food that's made in and around New York mm. uh, for New York. And so that's a big passion of mine is is working in that space, in the local food space. 
corporate clients, startup clients, and some independent clients that I work with, in addition to doing coaching. And in a past life, you know, before I really got heavy on this path, I was very much into literature, cinema, music to a less degree, art. I'm very, very, very passionate about art. I moved into a new place recently, I actually bought my first home. You know, I always dreamed of having a home covered in art. And I do. Art is extremely important to me. I, you know, creative free expression is what separates us from other beings. And mm. it really speaks to me. Creative free expression, artistic free expression. Who is the one artist and doesn't matter what period that you think, man, they just had it on point. Like they just painted, you know, life and humanity in the most perfect way. Who, what artist does that for you? So I'll start with an author and we'll go to an artist next. There was a, a fellow, may he rest in peace, named David Foster Wallace. I that, love him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, his work spoke to me and not only me, but probably millions of people um, as if I knew him, you know, and when he killed himself, I remember exactly where I was. And I, I you know, that, that September 10th, 2008, you know, it's seared in my mind, but he painted worlds with, with a pen in a way that nobody else did. You know, you read his stuff and you feel like, you know, he knew you, you know, it ties back to your question. When you're coaching people, do you ever feel like you know, you're coaching yourself? When reading him, I feel like he was writing to me. And that is just the same thing. He was so sensitive and so pained and so in tune with the human spirit that he was able to paint these. I mean, Infinite Jest is, is one of the greatest works of cultural production ever, ever. And any you put it up there with the Sistine Chapel, Notre Dame, you know, the pyramids. I'm serious when I say that. I really, I, from 167 Allen Street between Stanton and Rivington, there's one literary-minded fellow that believes that to be one of the greatest pieces of cultural production. I mean, you, I really put that up there. I mean, Hammurabi's Code, I'm serious when I say that. And yes, it was from that latter half of the 20th century and it's mass produced and it's in paperback and all of that. There's only one Hammurabi's Code. John, how could, how could you say that about the pyramids and the Sistine Chapel? But to me, speaking to me, it speaks to me as loudly as any other piece of cultural production does, maybe even more loudly. And to read it while he was still alive and to know what was going on in his head, to push him in that direction, to, you know, to have him take his own life, it just, it screams to me. Now, visual artists, hmm. I don't know. I got a couple of people I work with that I love. I have essentially a creative partner, a creative director that did, that's done a lot of work for me. And then I worked with kind of a, he would never, ever call himself this, but a, I call him a living legend in the underground New York graffiti scene. I think he's a pretty sick artist. These people don't want me to shout him out, but <laughs> okay. I don't know. It, it's, it's, tougher, it's tougher for me to say visual artists. Filmmakers are visual artists. Everyone's okay, a visual cool. artist. Filmmakers, we sure, can talk about. Sure, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm a big fan of Chris Marker. He's a French dude. He made a number of really interesting works. Godard, another Frenchman on this side of the pond. <laughs> I like the Davids, David Cronenberg and David Lynch. Mm -hmm. Those are two bangers i like a lot of weird you seem very, like a lynch fan yeah i like <laughs> bizarre stuff i love it uh, yeah all the stuff in my past life i was i had read a million books and seen a million movies and listened to a million albums and been to a million museums and was thinking about a million ways of killing myself mm -hmm. and so it wasn't until i stopped reading and doing any of that stuff that i actually started loving my life i had to start taking action you know i had to start watching what i was eating i had to start working out every day cutting back my sleep cutting out of the vices and in eliminating all the other distractions from my life i was able to grow and then in that growth i then started creating art myself. Mm -hmm. So I started the YouTube channel. I started collecting art. I got hooked up with this local graffiti artist and helped him produce a creative project. So 
anyone listening, if you are into arts and letters, if you are a culturally minded person as I was, and I guess I still am, and you are not right with yourself, if you are out of shape mentally as I was, if you are out of shape physically as I was, please take a look at my before picture. Just know that you are distracting yourself from the the painful but necessary work of your life. You're procrastinating against a fully formed version of yourself that can join the list of artists and authors and cultural people and filmmakers that you love, but you have to get out of your way first. I always wanted to write. I always wanted to make art. And I always mm. wanted to help people, but I wasn't doing any of that. I was consuming the art and work of others and and not doing it. So yeah, anyone that is into this type of stuff, if you are not doing it yourself, you're cheating the world out of your own light. And too many culturally minded people are not in good shape mentally or physically as I wasn't. Action is a pillar of the work that you do, is it not? It is the pillar. There is nothing without action. Nothing. That alarm goes off. And if I hit the snooze button, if I take inaction, I've hurt myself. I've chosen to lose. When it is time to work out, if I don't take action, I've chosen to lose. When it's time to eat intentionally, if I don't take action, I've chosen to lose. When it's time to do whatever, procrastination is the opposite of action. It's self-hatred. Action is it. It is that is all. And it doesn't even need to be a particular program. If one were to take the same action every day in the adherence so that action is positivity. Now, obviously, if that action is drinking and smoking and fucking your life up, it's not going to work. But if I told you to run down to the street, touch the tree at 7.30 a.m., then go up the block and shake hands with the doorman at 9 a.m., and then run to the West Village and pick up a cup of coffee at 11.45 a.m., just in adhering to that every day, you would learn more than if you read a million books because you would learn how to do the same things every day, whether you wanted to or not. And that's where the growth is. That was something that escaped me. It seems so elementary, but it's it's a lack of adherence that holds a lot of people up. Our society mm-hmm. encourages scattershot, slapdash action, whatever we choose to do, whenever we choose to do it. There's no real adherence, but in just creating something to adhere to, you grow massively. Now, what my program teaches is adhering to positive habits. So you kind of grow massively in a lot of different ways, but guys, if you just do the same thing every day, even if it's a neutral act, you will fly past your cohort, whoever you're competing with, and this is a competition, like it or not, you will fly past. But yes, thank you, Vanessa. This is all about action. It's only about action. It's the only way to keep my demons at bay is to take action every day. It's about daily action. You're phenomenal. Just gonna say that. Have you written books? In the course of me writing, I filled notebook and notebook at notebook with notes. I've written hundreds of hours of YouTube and I don't know how many thousands of hours of Instagram stories and reels, but in terms of formal books, negative. No, I haven't. Well, maybe that's the next thing. And when you finish it, you can dedicate it to David, you know? Oh, man, that would be an honor. Yeah. You read any Jonathan Franzen? Oh, my God, yes. Yes, I have. So he wrote the most touching piece I have read on Foster Wallace um, in The New Yorker. It's called Farther Away. Mm-hmm. He ended up spending some talk about running from your problems. He ended up spending some time on the islands that I guess give rise to Robinson Crusoe, I want to say. And in doing it was essentially, you know, a farewell letter to Foster Wallace. And in, in the article in The New Yorker called Farther Away, he talked about what it was like being around him and being sort of like a best friend, best enemy, frenemy rival to Foster Wallace. And 
it's really heavy. I, I recommend it to you yeah. personally and anyone listening that is a Foster Wallace fan to read that. But yeah, a lot of what I do, I mean, just in choosing not to take myself off, off this earth, I feel like I've dedicated myself to yeah. to a man that, that was unable to do it. But yeah, that's extremely flattering for you to say. I would love to be published in a traditional sense in the yeah. future. But for now, the, the book that I'm writing, the story I'm writing is one that I, I do every day with my actions. And it's also one that I am writing, you know, on yeah. my captions in my stuff you know i'm really right. writing that that's really me it's, it's coming from the heart yeah and it's funny how nowadays you can you know do collaborative efforts with people to publish your things and they will collect all of your works that you've done in various places and put that into a book with you so who knows maybe next year there will be one i'd love that that's a great idea our last question is if you could share you've shared so many new message if you could share a message with the world any message at all what would that message be the person who caused your pain is not the person responsible for it that person is you nobody else is here to manage your pain nobody else is here to process your pain and in being willing to manage and process your pain you can accept the person that caused it as having pain themselves. A pained individual is going to pass your pain on to you. You do not have to pass it on to anyone else. But if you do not work on it, you are guaranteeing to externalize it onto other people. And that is the worst thing you can do. It is so selfish to pass your pain on to others just because someone else passed it on to you. There's no wound too deep to heal. But if you don't choose to heal it, you will simply wound someone else. Thank you so very much. Oh man, you're that's like one of like the top 100 messages. I I like to listen back to everyone's message to the world and yeah, that is an excellent message. Thank you for that. Change starts at home, healing starts at home, the revolution starts at home. You cannot run from yourself, you cannot hide from your pain forever, and if you choose to, you'll simply die with it. I talk about this all the time. The reason old people are painted with the brush are stereotyped as being insert whatever negative character attribute is not because there's something inherently negative about growing old it's simply that they have held on to their pain longer than other people have and they've just pickled in it that's why they suck it has nothing to do with getting old it's just most people don't heal themselves and old people haven't healed themselves for a lot longer than everyone else has and if my message does sync with anyone hearing this understand that i went through what you're going through reach out your healing is on the other side of your pain and i'm between you and that i'm here to help guide you through it that's why i was put in your life and again if you could go over for people where they can find you best way to get in touch is on instagram at nyc foodways that's f-o-o-d-w-a-y-s hit me up name is john katz and my heart is open to you and anyone else hearing this i'm here for you well, thanks so much for joining us, John. You've, you've been amazing. And I'm glad that we matched. I'm glad to get to know you and follow your path. And definitely stay in touch and keep us updated on, on your journey. You got it. I appreciate you having me. Much love. Are You Happy Hour and Are You Happy Hotline are brought to you by Are You Happy Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media such as Instagram and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Are You Happy, the docuseries, can also be found on social media such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. See you guys next time for another wonderful episode of Are You Happy, the Happy Hour.